Hello, guys. This is Cordell Brooks with the Dose of Jesus podcast, and um, I wanted to release this episode of a, a message I did at my church um, a, a couple weeks ago, and it is entitled Love, the Four Loves to be specific, and I go through C.S. Lewis, Lewis's book, um, The Four Loves, and what those loves mean in terms of our relationship with Jesus Christ, and I hope you guys do enjoy it, and here it is. Love. And, and a lot of you are much older than me, and a lot of you are probably thinking, what is this 17-year-old going to teach me about love? And it may surprise you, but I think I know a little bit, quite a lot about love, because I love someone very much, and that is the Lord Jesus. And he says in his word that we love him because he first loved us. And to know the love of Christ surpasses everything. And I, I wanted to title it Vulnerable Lover. And it's by a quote. I got that title from a quote that C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, The Four Loves. And we're going to be looking at the four loves today that we see in the Bible. I'm going to read this quote to you. I really want it to set in with you. And I really want you just to really grasp it and try to think about it. He said this. He said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. You love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, and motionless, it will change. And I, I read this quote, and as soon as I read it, it struck me. I never thought of love as being a selfish or selfish act. Because the way that I've been raised and most of us have been raised, love is more of a feeling. It's more of something that we've been raised, oh, you're going to fall in love one day. You're going to marry someone who you really love. None of those things are true. It requires an effort. Love is an effort and an action that we put forth. And C.S. Lewis just struck me with this because I, I, I realized his life. And for 50 years of his life, he had... He was single for 50 years of his life. And then he met his wife, Joy. And only five years after they were married, they, she had passed away. And reading this, what he said about love, really put a grasp on what love is to me. Because he had a profound, deep love for two things. Well, for mainly one, Jesus. He has, hundred, he has several hundred books on just about Jesus. He's one of the greatest apologists of the 20th century. And you've, I'm sure you've heard of him. He's a, he wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is um, uh, a Christian allegory. And if you, if you guys remember Aslan, that, that's representing Jesus. And everywhere throughout his books, you can just see this pattern of what this quote describes. And I love it because he says, if you don't love, you're locking it up in the casket of your selfishness. And I got to thinking about that. And I was like, what am I doing? Who am I loving? Because I don't, when I think about it, like, who, who am I giving my heart to? And I got to thinking about before I was saved. And before I was saved, who did I give my heart to? And I gave my heart to physical things, to people, maybe to girls. But none of those things, that's what, that's what he said and described that my heart was wrung with those things. 
And I put my hope in those things. I put my love and my trust in those things. But what he says is that our hearts are vulnerable. And who we give it to, our hearts can be wrung and broken. And I realized as soon as I got saved, I know who I have my I know who has my heart and who I want to give my heart to. So I just want you guys to start conceptualizing that in your head. What does it mean to love? Because what we've been raised as, well, especially my generation has been raised to think about love, it's not at all what it seems. And the question I have here, I says, have you ever sat and pondered about what love truly is? And if so, you're not the only one. Because there's a, inside of us, there's this little philosopher always asking those big questions. And this big question, you'll always find, relates back to God. And if you notice, our whole entire culture is founded around love. I'm not saying the perfect love that Jesus gives. I'm saying it's founded around some sort of fake love or some sort of love. And it is surrounded in every culture and every part of the world. When you turn on the radio, what do you hear? Your love songs, right? Any country song, any pop song, heck, bluegrass songs, they all have an underlying theme. It's love, a love for something. If you realize your whole entire life, you go about loving something or someone. And I want to address what God says about love. And in John 15, 13, if you go there in your Bible, it says this. It says, greater love has no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's the greatest love that it says in the Bible. It says, the greatest love that a man can have is to lay down his life for his friends. And that means exactly what it means. It's a literal and direct statement to lay down your life for your friends. That includes your family, includes your brother, your sister, Mother, father, everyone you love. That's the greatest love you can have. And notice who said it. Good old Jesus, right? And what did Jesus do? He laid down his life for his friends, didn't he? Sure did. He was saying this. This is before he was ever on the cross. And he said, lay down your life for your friends. Because that's the greatest love you can ever give. Fast forward, here he is dying on a cross for each one of you and me. And just the, the full loop he makes with all the things he says, all the things he says about love, about salvation, it just makes a full loop and you, go, you get right to this one point in history where he's on that cross and he said, this is love. Capital L, love. Not what we have down here. In this portion of scripture, Jesus is speaking. He's giving us a foundation for what exactly love is. By this, we can see that there's no greater love than a man could give and to lay down his life for his friends. So the greatest love uh, can be seen as sacrifice. Sacrificing oneself for the lives of his friends. This could be seen as a high form of selflessness because it is essentially the process of giving less of yourself and giving more of yourself for someone else. So the greatest love a person could have is that of selflessness. To give everything about them to someone else. 
And that's what you do in marriage, right? You lay down your selfishness and give that heart to a person you trust, right? And we're going to get into those types of love like marriage and friendship love and all that in just a minute. This directly answers the question, what is love? The answer makes plenty of sense when you look at our lives. When we love someone so much, if we have true and pure love for them, we are willing to do anything for them. That is why we find when we listen to songs, we read stories, we see in all the cultures of the world, we see this pattern of love. And notice in the Bible, or just in songs and media, anything, and it's like a Hallmark movie, okay? That, that, well, that's first, first of all, that's not love, okay? But you see it in those movies. You see it in the songs. You see it in the media. And you see this form of love that's like, oh, I'll do anything for you. I'll, I'll move countries for you. And this is what it's talking about here. And if you turn to 1 John 4, 18 through 19, you, you'll see this. There is no fear in love. And notice what we just said about um, a pure love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. And he that fears is not made in perfect love. We love him because he first loved us. That should give an amen in your soul. It really should. If, if nothing else, I could see nothing else in just those words. We love him because he first loved us. That, that's just all, that means everything to me. Because I want, see, every day at school, in my community, I want people to see this love that God has for me. And I can't understand why people reject it. Because it's such a beautiful thing that throughout this, the whole entire Bible, we see God never leaving us, never leaving man, and he's always there with his love. We see it in Genesis 3.15, where he made the first prophecy that Jesus would come in the seed of the woman. We see it in Isaiah 53, where he says that he shall be crucified, he'll be bruised for our iniquities, he'll be crushed And that word crushed in Isaiah 53, that is one of the most beautiful passages in all the scripture, I think. That we crush for our iniquities. And that word in Hebrew, you know what it means? Grinded. Like a mortar, when you're grinding up something, that's what Jesus was. He was grinded for us. Ties back to just what he said a minute ago about laying down your life for your friend. See, it's clear here that God loved us first, but the question is how did he love us? Obviously, John 3.16. It's so simple, yet it's so profound that the God of the cosmos, the universe, the one who brought forth out of nothing life, this is the same God who loves us. When he set his son upon the cross, he showed the greatest love ever known. Sacrifice, he gave up his son for you. And this is the love I'm trying to get across to you. And this is the love that we're going to describe in detail in a minute with the other four loves. See, because of this love that God has given, that's the reason you love someone. That's the reason you marry someone. That's the reason you love your family. That's the reason you love anything in this life. Because love is like an energy. It is 
something beyond our realm. You know why? Because God is love. And it says that in the scriptures. And if God is beyond our universe, then it, love in of itself is beyond our realm. So loving someone is doing something greater than yourself. When you love Jesus, you're doing something much greater than yourself. And I want to note that we have to be careful when we use the word love. And when I studied Greek, I tried learning it. And what I was so fascinated by, how the Greeks used the, how they used their language. You know, they had six words for love. And that's, it's such a beautiful language. For every word that there is in English, there's five words in Greek. And then we're, stuck, we're limited to our one word in English. And what I find so fascinating is their... They're, they're love words. Because if I just, it, it, it's sort of, um, in a way, if I just said, well, I love you, Mom. Okay, well, the Greeks could use many different ways. They could say, I agape you, I storge you, I eros you. See, it's sort of limited in the way we use it now. But the way Paul uses it to describe in 1 Corinthians 13, which we've all heard at weddings, right? He uses Agape. And I'll tell you what agape is right now. Agape is the love most mentioned throughout the Bible. And, and that's not a coincidence. And agape is God's love for man. And I'm really tempted to scroll the way down here to 1 Corinthians 13 and get right into it. But I want to go through the other loves first. Because I want you to conceptualize this idea of where our love comes from. And first start off, we're, we're going to go off... We're going to start with agape. And I want, if you have notes, I want you to write down these words, agape. So this is the love that God has for us and us for God. This is the love. This love is the most important out of all the other loves. For without it, we would not be able to have the, the other loves. As it says in 1 John 4.19, as we just read. It says, we love him because he first loved us. And it's because of this agape love that we can have other loves for other people. See, this is the essence of agape love. Uh, and then we have storge. Storge is the love towards one's family. It's a natural or instinctual love. This love is an, another word the Greeks had for love. It, described, it was described as a love that we feel towards our parents, our kids, or like our grandkids. And that's why I mentioned that, because you have this Storge, your love for your family, love for your grandkids. And I find that so beautiful. It's because of God's love we can do that. And don't you love it when you can love someone? It's really something. And I, I, I noted this. I said, however, this love, like many of the others, is ever so fading. We don't have a passionate love for parents anymore. You look at school, you don't see it. Heck, sometimes in church, you don't see it. This lack of respect to parents, lack of respect to elders, authority, that love is fading like all these other loves. And this is the importance of being selfless in your love. This is the importance of knowing God's love before you know any other love. 
Then we have the eros love. This is the love between a man and a woman. It is like a romantic affection, a love that you feel when you see your spouse. To love is, this love is also quickly fading. Okay. See, it's the selfish desire in the world that is keeping this love from flourishing. It's this selfish desire that my generation mainly has been raised. And I'm going to point out some statistics after we get through the last love here about what's going on in my generation and what we've been raised to believe about love. And this Eros love, that is marriage, the love you feel towards your spouse. And this one is the worst. I hate talking about this one because it hurts me so much to see the way my generation is heading with this kind of love. Well, for one, they don't have the first two loves, agape or storge. They don't have love for God. They don't have a love for parents. And how do you expect to love someone else if you have neither of those? How do you expect to love anyone without the love of God? Sure, you can try to love someone, but it's going to be a fake love. That's why Paul urges people not to be unequally yoked. Because they have different views of love. See, one, a Christian might think, well, I have to do what's for God's love, not for my love. Anything uh, as a part of my love, I have to make it a part of God's love. That's to be a part of God's glory. Then you have the, the non-Christian. They're like, well, I don't believe in God. So I can just love anybody I want. And you wonder why divorce rates are soaring. I wonder why 50% of all new marriages end in divorce. That should crush you. Because marriage is the union between two people, the bond that God has put together. And the, but now it's not much of a bond God puts together. It's more so people trying to put it together instead of God. I'm going to wrap up with this, the Philios love, and then we're going to talk about that more. Philios is love between friends. This love also has grown weak in our dying culture. Friends are no longer what they used to be. I cannot expect friends that will last in my generation. The times where friends were closer than a brother are over, but we can still harness that love with one another. And just like I said before, with all these other loves, when God's love dies, well, when our love for God dies, so does all the others. And just like the friendship love, which is Phileos, it's dying too. You know, I, cannot, I can barely imagine anyone in my school that is passionate, and I'm not trying to boast myself, that is passionate about Jesus Christ like I am. When before, maybe a hundred years ago, you could find everyone in that school that was passionate about Jesus. But now it's a lonely world. And very few, and I mean very few, you'll be able to find friends that will stick closer than a brother, as it says in Proverbs. But this is just the result of a world without Love.
a world without God. It's the result. You want your kids to have no friends? Well, it sounds bad, but you need to raise them with God's love. Raise them with the authoritative and most beautiful love out of all of them, which is God's love. And I'll assure you, they'll have no friends. But that's a good thing. If the world hates you, know that it hated me first. Isn't that what Jesus said? You have no friends, don't worry about it. You don't need them. Because you'll have hundreds of them in heaven. And you won't have to worry about them leaving there. Let's get to the truth about love. The harsh reality is that the, world, that the world is facing is the fact that love is dying. The world has forgotten what love is, what true love is, for that matter. We have conceptualized a sort of fake adorning love that is childish. Love is not a Hallmark movie. It's not about how the guy gets the woman or how, how we seemingly fall in love. Love is much more than that. Paul outlines it in 1 Corinthians 13. And every time we hear the word charity, think God's love. Because if you look back in the original Greek, that's what it says. And next time you go to a wedding, put God's love in there instead of what he's, when the preacher says love. Because that's the mistake we first enter when people get married. Thinking that love's just for them. That love is for God represents the marriage of Jesus and the church. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13 for you. I want you to highlight every instance of charity that's in here. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am becoming as sounding brass or as tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. Charity suffers long. It's kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. It does not seek after her own. It is not easily provoked. It thinks not evil. It rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. Charity never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they will fail. Whether there be tongues, they will cease. Whether there be knowledge, it will vanish. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child, but I thought as a child and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. And now, where we normally hear this at weddings, there's a sort of change when you put God's love in there. There's a sort of change. Because Paul could have used any other word. He could have said, well, the love between a man and a woman is patient, it's kind. But no, he used agape. He said, no, 
God's love is patient. It's kind. It does not envy. It does not seek after her own. It's not selfish. You look at that phrase right there, seeketh not, not her own. Does not seek after itself. Just like we talked about a minute ago, love is selfless. It's selfless. In every instance we can see of charity in here, we can see God's love. That's why when I go to weddings, I'm sometimes disappointed and sad. And I'm sure Jonathan will tell you the same thing. I've heard Jonathan say he'd rather preach at a funeral than a wedding because weddings now are not adorning to God. They're not glorifying to God as they should be. You know why? Because they have a wrong interpretation of what this love is. You see, it's not by your spouse's love or your boyfriend's love, your girlfriend's love. It's not about that. He said it's about God's love. He said, he never said without the love of a woman, without the love of my family, without the love of my friends, I am nothing. He said, if I don't have God's love, I am nothing. If he could use all caps, if he was typing this in a text, he would. He would say, I am nothing in all caps without God's love. Because what is God's love? Have we ever asked ourselves that? What is God's love? What is God's love? Just think about it. Close your eyes and think about it. If God is love, then what is God's love? How did he show us his love? Through his son. He didn't have to send his son to die for us. Certainly not the God of the universe that created everything, created everyone. He didn't have to do that. But he did. That's his love to us. That's agape. He said, I love you this much. So I'm going to send my son to die on the cross for your sins. And I know you don't deserve it. But I'm sending him. And I love you. But that's not preached at weddings in this verse. You think if maybe we start living for that agape love, things might have a bit of a change in our life? Start living for God's love. Because I'm going to tell you, if you're seeking after the love of your spouse, your friends, it's going to fail. He said everything else but charity or God's love will fail. But the greatest of these is love. Out of hope that we have in Jesus, out of faith that we have in Jesus, God's love is the greatest of them. I try my absolute hardest to get people to understand the beautiful and pure love that God has for them. And and I want you guys, and I know that I'm young, and you may think that some of the things I'm saying might be crazy. Like, what do I know about love? But this is love. To deny this, sure, you can call me crazy, but don't call the Bible crazy, because this is God's word. And he says, this is love. Make this your love. Make God, make God's love the love in your life.
Don't seek after the love of others. Most importantly, don't be selfish with it. We take that light of God's love in us and go everywhere. That's why there's wars going on. That's why there's people dying every day. You know, the one thing that hurts me the most sometimes is when you walk down the street and you see a bunch of zombies. Because they're all dead. And something God has put on my heart that I'm so thankful he has at such a young age. Because I know I would have regretted it if I was older. Eternity. That's one thing he has put in my mind for years. He's saying, look at them. They're dying. They're dead in eternity. Do you love them? Show them my love. We see a bunch of dead people walking every day. And all it takes is one little moment, that one divine intervention to happen. Say, let me tell you about God's love. Not enough evangelism, not enough preaching, not enough love is spreading in the church, in the world. If God is love and God is also Jesus, then Jesus is the love of God. This makes sense when you look at John 3.16. How did God show his love for us? He did this by sacrificing his son in our place, just like he asked Abraham to send his son to be sacrificed. And then he told Abraham, I will provide a sacrifice. That was the love. That, that was the, he was pointing towards that agape love. God's love to us. And I love also the Greek word for world, for God to love the world. You know what that Greek word is? It's cosmos. The whole universe. He loved everything in it. He loved everything from your brokenness. He loved it. He loved you completely and fully. And he loved all that he had created. And you know what he despises in you? That sin. And I, if, if I was God and I saw the way the world was going, it'd break my heart. Because if I see it from a 2D perspective here, what does God see in a 3D perspective? 40, 60, I don't even know what dimension he's in. But what does he see? What does an omniscient God see when we're not spreading his love? What does he see? Well, right now, I'll tell you what he's seeing. He's seeing this. He's seeing marriage rates going down, divorce rates going up. And here's a statistic. It says this, um, It says, currently the divorce rate per 1,000 married women is 16.9. That may not seem like a lot, but when you calculate that based on our population, that's quite a bit. The divorce rate per 1,000 married women is nearly double that of 1960, but down the all-time high of 22.6 in the early 1980s. 
here's one that really got me. Almost 50% of all marriages in the United States will end in divorce or separation. 60% of second marriages end in divorce. 73% of all third marriages end in divorce. And I wish there were statistics on the love we have for our friends. Our friends leave each other. What about family love? What's the statistics on those? Actually, I don't even want to see it. This is the decline of love and we got to do something about it. We can't just stay idle, sitting on our sofas, watching TV. We got to do something about this. This is God's love we're talking about. This is the love that saved you from eternal damnation. That sounds harsh, because quite it really is. You know, you know what hell is that you were saved from? That's the absence of Jesus Christ. You know, when as, as a Christian now, when I, I look back, I used to think of hell as oh, the fire and flames and all that, and it is. But now as a Christian, you know the worst thing? That what, uh, what I think of when I think of hell? The absence of Jesus. And that's what the earth is becoming. It's being engulfed by the flames of hell. Because you know why? The absence of Jesus. That's what America's becoming. That's what all the countries are coming. Just like with these statistics, like I said earlier, I said, it, I believe it's harder for a pastor to preach at a wedding rather than a funeral because with these statistics, many weddings are simply just funerals waiting to happen. Just like with friends, sometimes they're just funerals waiting to happen. So we end up in situations where we become more like death than life in our relationships. And it's just the world that I've been raised in and you've been raised in. Especially my generation. And I got to think about what we've been taught throughout school about love, about these things that God has described in his, in his word. And I'm so thankful that I know his word now. Because what I've been raised, what my, my generation's been raised, what we've been raised, it's not right. It's not right. And my, been, my generation has been raised throughout all school. They're like, go out and get that career you always want. It's, I, I noticed something throughout all of middle school, throughout all of high school. I noticed something. I noticed the you movement. Do you. Do what you want to do. Go to college. It'll help you. Go get that job you always want. It'll help you. It's the selfish movement. Now, I'm not saying going to college or getting a good job is bad. I'm saying when you do it for selfish desire, it makes it bad. That's why I try in everything I do to not look at it in terms of this is my job. This is my life. This is my degree. No, it's not my life. It's not your life. 
It's God's. If you're a Christian, you have the right to give everything to God. Because it makes sense that the whole entire creator of the whole entire universe owns everything about you, including your life. So if he doesn't own your life, does he own your love? Think about that. And think about what you're teaching other people. Are you teaching them to do the same thing? To do what they want? You know the worst thing, I, I, the thing I hate to hear people say? Follow your heart. That, that, uh, a lot of Christians say it too. But you know what God says about your heart? He said it is deceitful and wicked among all things. It is deceitful and wicked. And when I hear kids and teachers say, I'll just follow your heart. It's going to be all right. No, your heart's selfish. It's selfish. It don't want God. That's why you give over your heart to God. Your heart was this black guck until God took it. But still, you can add all that guck on there if you want to. But don't follow after your heart. That'll lead you to be more selfish. That won't lead you to love. That's why we have God's heart. You know why? Because His heart is pure. And that's why we have to be in Him. For anything. That's, he is the only good part about us. Because He's the only thing that's ever good. I want to ask, do you love God? Do you love God? And I ask this because if you do not love God, then how is it that you will know how to love others? How is it that you will know what love is? If the love of Christ, if to know the love of Christ surpasses all knowledge, then how in the world, if you don't know that, how do you expect to go out in this world and shine the light for Him and shine for Him and love others if you don't know His? If His perfect love is our example, then how are you supposed to live that example if you do not know what that love is? God requires all of your love, all of your relationships, all of your mind, your thoughts, your feelings, absolutely everything. This is what ruins relationships for many Christians. Giving everything to God even includes your relationships, your marriage, your friends, your family. I want to ask you something. If I ask yourself this question, if I take God out of my relationships, would they last? And I hope everyone answers no. Because if you say yes, if I take God out of my relationships in my life, would they last? Because if they last, God was never there. That's why you put God in every relationship you have. A Christian's main focus is the glory of God. If your friendships and relationships take away from that, then you must leave. In every relationship you will have, ask yourself if God will be glorified in that relationship. And I assure you that you will see that people that you find as friends, as family, Leave. 
with that mindset because people hate that mindset in the world we live in. People will leave you if you start seeking out the glory of God. And that's perfectly fine. You don't need people. Part of what people may tell you. Same people you don't need will tell you that. I love this, what one guy said, and I can't remember his name. He was a writer and a Bible commentator. He said this, it's just a very short quote. He said, aim to his glory. And everything you do, aim to his glory. Proverbs 3, 6, right? And every, everything you do, acknowledge him. He'll direct your ways. Acknowledge him. See him. Look at him. Look towards his glory. In your marriage, your friendships, your relationships, look to his glory. That's what happens. That's why we have divorce. That's why we have friends that break apart. They're not bonded to anything. It's about like having two pieces of wood together that have no glue. They're just going to fall apart. Jesus is the bond that holds all things together. All things. For by, like John 1 3 says, I think it's 1 3. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> just, uh, but in John it says, by him everything was made. It was not anything that wasn't made, wasn't made. Because he made all things. And he is in all things. He's the substance that holds all of us together. Our friendships, our relationships, our love. But some people want to tear that apart. Some people want to tear the love of God apart. And that's what's happening in the church. Have you noticed there's been a decline in the church in many years, within the years, a lot of you are older. I'm not saying that in a mean way. But you remember, I, I remember talking to my teacher and she said her parents told her of a time when people would flood into the church building and they had to open the windows because people wanted to stand outside and listen to the sermon. They wanted to listen to what God had to say. I wish I could have lived in a time like that. I wish every single pew in here was filled up. Maybe it'd be, a, it'd be easier for the ushers of the morning. I know that. But I wish I lived in that time when people sought after the glory of God, when people knew the love of God, and they actually cared for other people enough to share that love. No one's facing eternity. No one's pointing towards God's glory. We're selfish. And it's this movement that's swept across the nation, that's swept across our world of selfishness. It's felt like the independent movement. You know what the independent movement is? Well, it's like the, the independent movement you hear a lot of Democrats talk about. I'm not trying to be political or anything. I'm just saying a lot of, a lot of Democrats talk about it. How people should be independent. How people should be independent. Like, oh, that's a very strong, independent woman. That's a very strong, independent man. You ever think about that? 
You ever think about what they're teaching us? Be selfish. To be selfish. You know what happens when we have independent women and independent men? Well, first off, the family falls. Because what, what does that say? That says, oh, I don't, need, I don't need a man. I don't need a woman. I don't, need, I don't, I don't even want kids. You know why? Because that's going to affect my life. That's going to affect my job. It's going to affect the way I live. Well, it seems God doesn't care about the way you live. He cares about the way you live for him. He wants you. He wants all your life. He wants your kids. He wants your wife. He wants your kids. Everything. He especially wants your kids. He loves your kids. And I'm going to close with this. 806. Wow. Whew. My bad. It's by C.T. It's quote by C.T. Studd. He said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. You were quoting that, weren't you? I saw it. I love that quote. That's one of the quotes I try to live by the most. Just live for Christ in everything you do. And there's another quote. It's one word. Eternity. If you have to write that on your phone... Make it as your background. So every day you're, you're swept with the realization, I'm working for eternity here. Not for whatever this life offers. I'm working for eternity. We need to aim for his glory. Aim for his love. Show his love. Most importantly, don't be selfish with his love. Show that love throughout the world, like he said. And live a life fully geared toward the love of God. Love your fellow man. Love your neighbor. Love your family. Love your kids. Love it with a selfless heart. A selfless passion. And don't let the world ruin that love for you. And that's all. But... but are we supposed to pray now? Okay. Are we supposed to call on somebody? Or I am supposed to? Nobody ever come here? I don't know how this works. <laughs> I'll pray anyways. Thank you, God, for this wonderful day you've given to us. And I thank you that you've given me the opportunity to share your glory. And I thank you for the opportunity of people coming here to listen and be edified in your word, Lord Jesus. I just pray for them, lift them up to you, that this whole world will realize your love, that they will realize that the love that you have for them and that they will be edified in that and grow in that and define relationships in that and define love in that and define everything in that, Father. Be with them, Lord Jesus, and just guide their ways as you say in Proverbs 3, 6, that in every way we can, we'll acknowledge you and you'll direct our ways in life. In every way we can, we'll seek your glory. We'll seek eternity with you. And we'll seek Jesus. We thank you for your son, Jesus, dying on the cross for your sins. So you show us that agape love, that love that surpasses everything in this life. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done in our life. Be with us and safe travels for us. In Jesus' name, amen.